Welcome to MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Soccer Player Development Podcast. Discover all the secrets, hints and tips about soccer player development and soccer coaching from some of the leading figures in world soccer. Here's your host, Saul Isaacson-Hurst. So guys, welcome back to another show. Uh, before we get into our guest, just want to say a big welcome to, uh, first of all, Fairmont University, uh, also Mountaineer United Soccer Club, and also the UAE Pro League. Uh, so three new clubs or organisations joined in the My Personal Football Coach Club partnership to take advantage of the My Personal Football Coach app. Uh, obviously, Mountaineer United Soccer Club in the United States, Fairmont University uh, college out in, in America and the United uh, Arab Emirates Pro League as well, using it for their uh, for their camps, for their academies as well. So just that goes to really sum up the diversity really of the people using the clubs and the federations and the organisations all around the world utilising the My Personal Football Coach Club partnership. We've got pro clubs like academies like Arsenal, Middlesbrough, Wolves and grassroots soccer clubs all around the world and university and college programmes. So listen, if you're interested in taking your club, your college or your federation to the next level, uh, just drop me a line and we can set you up a demo and let's see how we can take your club, your players, your parents uh, to the next level. But uh, listen, now on to the guest and this week we've got a real cracker for you. It's Alex Nichols. Alex, who's a technical coach at Arsenal FC's academy, obviously Arsenal, one of the best academies in world football. Uh, Alex is a technical coach there, and Alex is just a top, top guy, actually a top individual, uh, speaks really well about the game, he's got lots and lots of experience, uh, he's worked at Brentford Academy in Watford before spending several years at Arsenal, working all across the age group, so a real great, insightful hour or so talking to someone who's uh, who works at the top echelons of the game also as an individual coach as well like myself and as a very successful individual coaching business so this is one I know you're gonna uh, enjoy and listen sit back relax and uh, let's get into the show so Alex Nichols welcome to the show thank you can you give us a brief uh, outline of your playing and coaching journey up to this point please um, played up until the age of uh, 18 uh, started at Brentford at the age of 20 um, after, after Brentford, went on to Watford, did the under-15s, and have been at Arsenal for the last six seasons. So, so you started, so say again, to the beginning, that was the quickest one ever, by the way. That's, that's pretty mean feet. Well <laughs> Just you know, almost missed it. So you stopped playing at 16. Stopped and then, playing what, at 18. Stopped eight. playing at 18. Got into coaching then, from So, right. So your first coaching job was at Brentford, yeah? Yeah. First coaching Watford. job was at Brentford. Then Watford. Um, I was at Watford for a year and a half. Um, after Brentford for four years, and then um, Arsenal for six years, like last six seasons. Wow, fantastic. So give us a little, then let's just wind back then. Talk about that first um, coaching role, going as a 20-year-old. You know, yeah. what, how did that come about? And what was that like? And that, you know, listen, we've talked about Brentford on the last show many times. Danny Buck's been on the show for me, one of the best coaches ever ever seen. Unbelievable mm-hmm. environment there. Tell us a, bit, a little bit about that. So starting off at Brentford, starting off in development centres and obviously being a relatively young coach is at uni um, doing a sports degree um, and just always kind of wanting to be in like that kind of elite environment and had a had a contact of mine and um, someone who actually coached me um, who was working at the academy at the time and he said look there's an opportunity to come and, and to begin with on a at, in a development center just shadowing um, observing literally just that um, and just kind of find your feet and kind of see if it's right for you, but more importantly, see if you're right for the club. Um, and that's where it started, really. Um, was at the Devon Development Centre for about 
a good six months um, on an unpaid basis, was doing quickly kind of evolved from observing, shadowing to kind of helping just with balls and kind of doing registers. Um, then it progressed to kind of, okay, go on, can you do 20 minutes of a session at Development Centre? Kind of proved myself there and then relatively quickly got moved into the academy. So tell us about that, those first experiences at Development Centres. I mean, what was what was, what was the type of sessions going on? What the coach was delivering? What were the initial things you picked up as a, you know, as a young, fresh coach there? So the, the hardest thing for me was, was dealing with the intensity and the speed of the sessions. Um, I really struggled with the... Um, First of all, getting to know the, all the children on such a personal basis because there were so many children at Development Centre um, and trying to build relationships with them, but whilst also observing and analysing them, but at the same time also trying to um, deliver a high-quality session. And I was at a stage of my development as a coach where so much of my emphasis and concentration would be on sessions. Um, sessions would be, would be um, ball mastery to begin with, first 10, 15 minutes, uh, followed by uh, 1v1 slash 2v2s, um, and then it'll be a slight kind of possession type basis based game and then it would finish with, with often with matches towards the end relatively simple structure but effective in, in what it was in terms of the number of ball touches that the players were ha having but also the amount of bodies that were there at Brentford we used to have so many eyes on players um, and my focus like I say for the first six months was very much on just trying to be able to concentrate on just delivering a session that was to the standard so I found it really hard to juggle delivering a session to the standard whilst also analysing players. And there'll be times, I remember in the first three months of me being at Brentford, I'd come in and I had been so focused on my session, I'd come in and then uh, Miguel Rios would ask me, oh, what did you think about this player? And literally, I couldn't even remember the player. I really hmm. struggled, struggled with finding that balance. Um, and I think that was probably testament to how inexperienced I was at the time at 20 um, to be able to deliver a session at the standard that was demanded. And by the way, the standard was a very high standard. Um, but also be able to analyse players in the detail that other coaches are able to. So it's a real fast learning curve, you know. Interesting. Testing about you moving to progressing to the academy. What was that like? Um, because I had because the the relationship between the development centre and the academy was so closely linked. So many of the of the coaches and the recruitment staff that I was with at the development centre at Northolt was also at the academy at Jersey Road. So the transition was relatively seamless, but obviously the quality of the players was far higher. Um, so that took some adapting to, and then also the next challenge was for me, well, now I'm able to deliver effective sessions that's, that's kind of demanded by kind of the club. Um, and I'm also able to analyze players. Actually, can I now start to develop myself as a coach to adapt sessions specifically for the needs of individuals, but also to stretch and challenge your outstanding individuals to ensure that there's a high level of differentiation, um, and all individuals play all individual players' needs were met. And what, what were the roles you did in the academy then? So started um, in and around the under nines and tens. Um, that was 2011 going to 2012. Um, so it was nines and tens to begin with. But the great thing about Brentford was, which really helped me as a coach, was that we'd always work across age groups. So I would predominantly be with nines and tens. That would be at least two out of the three sessions plus a game. Um, each week but then I also might do a under eight session still with the, with the main group so you was always kind of kept on your toes with the amount of players that you were seeing but also you got you gained a greater um, understanding and insight as to what the pathway was going to look like because you was always seeing at least three age groups per week 
um, which feathered me as a coach, but also probably helped the players the most because they had got to see so many different coaches, but who still had a good quality relationship with them. It wasn't just randoms. It was always a consistent basis, but it wasn't just two coaches that the player would see. It would probably be about three or four. What are the main things you, you took from those those early stages of your career in terms of, you know, you talked about obviously your session design and you know, making sure that you take it individually. What else were the major takeaways from those first, you know, those first, well, first experiences? Everything at Brentford was very much principle orientated, whether that was kind of club philosophy in terms of um, we used to have kind of morals and values that we used to always stick to, things like um, excuses equals failure um, and so on. So those kind of principles really, really helped me in my um, in my understanding, simply because they, they always, there was always a, a strong and structured framework. The expectations in terms of developing the players was very much um, a close relationship with recruitment. So recruitment and coaches had a very close relationship because um, ultimately we were a small club in League One at the time, trying to compete with big Cat One clubs and obviously Chelsea around the corner and like to QPR at the time when I first started, um, we was playing catch up to QPR, but that and that kind of quickly changed as the years went on. Um, biggest thing I probably learned was was learning to manage different types of players, but also managing different types of parents as well. Um, building relationships with different types of parents, different types of background, but equally having a high quality relationship with them, depending on what those individuals' needs were. The environment was extremely intense, intense in terms of expectations on coaches, um, intense in terms of expectations placed on players um, and everybody in the building, if I'm being brutally honest. And I've always maintained that those first four years I spent at Brentford um, were largely, I, I, I could have been at another club for 10 years. I wouldn't have learned that much as much as, much as what I did in the four years. And then towards the end, the last two seasons was spent doing, um, I was moved from 9th and 10th to the under 11s and under 12s. Interesting. Tell us a bit about that, those expectations. Give us an example of them. So what were they, especially for the coaches, give us a bit of, you know, some of the detail there. So first of all, the standards off the pitch were, were absolutely kind of essential. Uh, the way that we conducted ourselves, to the way that we wore the kit, to when we was in the kit, even when we was off-site, kind of what types of expectations were in terms of our behaviour, that we carried ourselves, demanding kind of high-level professionalism. Um, and then when we walked on the building, just basic um, basic standards in terms of how we interacted with players, whether they were older players that we didn't coach, whether they were younger players that we didn't coach, um, and creating a real community type of atmosphere whereby people felt that they were part of something bigger. Um, in terms of demands of, of coaches on the grass, um, you could probably argue that they were just as intense. Um, the demand for the players to constantly be learning, the demands for the framework, a lot of it was much more around the framework of the sessions, ensuring that certain standards were met in terms of ensuring they, they'd done a sufficient amount of 1v1 and, and 2v2 type work, um, ensuring they'd done enough full mastery, ensuring that certain principles and our golden thread for whatever the monthly topic was, um, was delivered by delivered in a, in a constructive, but with also a, a plan in place for across the course of those, those four weeks. We used to work on a month-to-month -month basis with different topics. Um, and so it what that? So give us an idea, give us an idea then, like monthly month, what would those topics be? So, for example, uh, goodness me, uh, a topic may, may be um, uh, playing through the thirds. That was a topic that we used to have. One of my favourite topics that we used to have at, um, at Brentford was um, was a uh, almost like a player ownership type of um, 
type of month where what would happen is the first 45 minutes of the session would be heavily coached. So for example, if I was taking uh, under 12 group, I may have half, half the group and the other coach may have the other half of the group. And my topic may be um, breaking a deep block there and the other coach may coach um, defending in a deep block to counter. So the topics linked, linked well together. And then what would happen is it would be heavily coached for 45 minutes. I would, I would coach my players specifically what we were looking for. Um, and it was like lots of command-based type coaching to ensure they, um, they understood what was expected in certain scenarios. And then the next part of the session, the next 45 to an hour, was literally the players playing against each other in, in a game. And the coaches weren't allowed to speak. Coaches didn't speak, coaches didn't coach. And it was just, the, it, was, it was probably the month where I probably learned the most about the players. Um, because they were thrown into an environment where, because we, at Brentwood, we were, we were on the players and we really demanded high standards, we got to find out how much the players were actually able to apply themselves, uh, integrate within, within a team, but also communicate. Um, so that was probably one of my favourite months that we had. Interesting. And you mentioned there that you had to have ball mastery and 1v1 stroke 2v2 in every session. I mean, look, we take it for granted because we've worked in those environments. Tell us why those things are so important for player development. Oh, well, they're essential. And at the time, if I'm being brutally honest, at 20 and 21, I thought it was just the, the given thing, the standard thing that players would, would engage in some form of 1v1, 2v2 or ball mastery um, in every session at every academy. Um, and then on top of that, we would also at Brentford had two sessions of um, two sessions on grass or in the Astro on a dome then we'd also have one, one session of futsal so it's highly technical but I wasn't aware of it at the time and it, it's so important especially at every age is important and I think there's a there's an issue where, where people think that technical development is only essential in the, in the foundation phase and and that's where it starts that's where you build your foundation without a doubt however it has to progress and players have to be able to see how that then fits into their position specific role when they get to 13 and 14. But what it did at Brentford, it, it gave them a footing. What it did at Brentford, it ensured that our players were able to move with the football, master the football. Um, and more, most importantly, our, our attack minded players were able to, to dominate 1v1s um, in wide areas and central areas, but also across the board, all of our players were always able to master the ball to a minimum level, even at nine and 10, where they could, they could get out of tight areas, recycle the ball if needed, but also had, had a trick. And the big thing was at Brentford, as much as we gave them variety and built their technical toolbox, we were big on the understanding that these players will usually have one or two tricks, which will be their go-tos. And you see that with, with the top pros. Um, but our, our job early on was to ensure that they had that go-to trick in order for us to build possession, retain the ball, and also be able to um, to eventually progress possession forwards. Interesting. And then just tell us, then, I mean, people often just like, it almost goes under the radar in terms of that environment, mm -hmm. because in terms of, because obviously Ozzy Benji was at Spurs and I was there and Danny Buck, again, like I would say, one of the best I've ever seen. And in terms of recruitment, Sean O'Connor and Miguel Rios, two of the best in the game. And then you're mm -hmm. like people like Andy Hayes and John D'Souza and that Charlton come through there yourself. And unbelievable amount of like coaching and recruitment talent. And obviously, as we see, which produced so much playing talent. I mean, obviously, firstly, such a shame they closed it down. But I mean, tell us about that uniqueness, that environment, being able to go in and, you know, as a young coach and learn off some of the best in the world like that. Some of the best around must have been fantastic. So academy football 11 years ago was, was just so different as well, so. so what would happen is I'd go in and I knew the environment was challenging for me. 
I knew I was out my my comfort zone, especially for the first year, year and a half, where I was really learning day by day, not even week by week. And as much as I respected people like Bucky and Ozzy, I thought they were great in terms of their knowledge and I was learning so much. I didn't realize, and I took it for granted, where they sat as individuals within the wider field of coaching, not just in England, but also Europe and and, and, and further afield. Um, so I took it for granted that I was working with people like Miguel. And Miguel was, was really kind of instrumental in terms of the, the early interaction because he managed the development center he was kind of somebody who I had interaction with from almost day one. Um, so I had a great insight as to the links and, and the links and the, um, the correlation between coaching and recruitment. And almost, we, we never really tried to find a line where coaching stopped and recruitment began. We, they often merged and it, and it merged in a seamless kind of harmony where recruitment staff were in tandem with coaches and we almost saw coaching as an extension of recruitment especially in the pre-academy age groups mm. um which which it always is um in terms of the environment that was set was was outstanding i remember distinctly going into um going into the office and this must have been my second or third year and i remember i said what you think it's better at this club or that club or a big club or a top prem club and he was like no this, this is outstanding here and and with the way Oz was, I, I kind of half believed things. I knew how good we were, and we, we were we would turn up and outplay teams who were far kind of larger clubs than us, shall we say. And I knew we were onto a really really good thing, and I knew the coaches were of a high standard. But then, with the other half of me, you always think, oh well, you know, when you when you get to to a to a top prem club or a, a European club, a like Real Madrid type, you, you think it's going to be different, and. In, invariably, over the over the years, you, you realise kind of the, the quality of the people and the amount of experience they had um, at the time, but also where they've then gone on to progress their career. Obviously, Bucky, I've worked with um, closely at Arsenal in the last six years, um, two or three years with him doing the eights, and in the last season doing the sixteens with him at Arsenal. Decent. So then, tell us about then your next move, Brentford. How did that come about, moving from Brentford to Watford? So I'd got I'd got to the end of the four years at, at Brentford and I, I was looking for a new challenge, something that was gonna gonna stretch me, something that I thought um, my career needed. The oldest age group I'd done at that point, four years in, was under 12s really. Um, and as good as they were, and they were an excellent group, and so many of them have gone on to achieve so many things. I wanted to work with older players as well. Um, to stretch myself as a coach again, um, but also kind of see a new philosophy. And the opportunity came up um at Watford. Um I had a couple of um, friends who already worked there and they, they kind of recommended me to go for the role and interview for the role. Um, and I was given the option to either choose 15s or 16s. Now, 15s or 16s, it was a, um, a a big step up for me because I'd gone to Watford at the time, we a Prem club. Um, and I had a very close friend in Cole Martin who I'd known for five, six years at that time. So... I, so I so I chose to work with with Carl during the 15s um, at Watford and, and it was a totally different environment um, and what it did is it didn't stretch me like Brentford did Watford it didn't it definitely didn't stretch me but what it what it did do and because the environment was so laissez-faire shall we say it allowed me to experiment so I was able to experiment with sessions which maybe I might not have taken so many risks with at Brentford and I took risks with, with sessions, sometimes got it wrong, sometimes made errors, um, sometimes we changed the session halfway through. Um, and so it, not only was I doing a different age group, and also kind of with a, um, with a good games programme, because they just 
change from Cat 3 to going towards Cat 2, um, I was also working with, with much older players. So I was learning, again, day by day, and it felt like Brentford, but except for rather than the environment driving the standard, I was driving my standard. Because so I still had all those Brentford principles, which I was kind of embedded with from the very start. Interesting. Tell us, and I always ask this question, you know, because you know, I've been lucky enough to work at a few clubs now. What was the, what the major, you know, compare and contrast your experiences? You know, Brentford, relatively small club, Watford, quite a big club, like I said, Premier League club at mm-hmm. the time, massive history in the game, you know, long, long, very successful academy. What are the main sort of differences you noticed in the academies? Oh, uh, to be honest, it was chalk and cheese. Um, the, there was no intensity in the environment. Um, there was there was a there was far less kind of standards that were expected, and obviously this is this is what I'm talking about seven eight years ago now, um, so it's very different to the setup that they have now. Um, but it, in terms of there wasn't as much directive from um, from senior management, which gave coaches a lot of a lot of freedom. Um, what it did allow me to do was, like I say, experiment. The biggest factor that was probably different was their the approach to how they how the coaches viewed the club. So um, the, when it comes to recruitment, and even though I was doing a much age, older age group, I would always kind of have conversations with everybody across the board and especially in pre-academy age groups. And, and I would hear the, lots of phrases like, oh, well, it is, it is Man City, it is, it is Man United. It is, you know, they, they were seen as a, as a club that was of a higher level, um, of a better level. Now, okay, when you talk about first team, okay, maybe they, they were better, um, but the approach at Brentford was a total opposite. We, it was, it was, it had that slight tinge of arrogance, which I think is necessary at, um, at, at any academy, because we we genuinely felt, and and the more experienced coaches knew that the environment that we had set was was something that was comparable to any club in the country. It genuinely was. Whereas the the mindset of Watford was very much well, it is Arsenal or it is Chelsea, and and then we were saw ourselves as below that, and it was almost an acceptance with regards to recruitment at times that when players signed at Arsenal, where I was like, well, what can we do? Can we put something in place? And that was the mindset of Brentford. When somebody said they were going to go to, they were going to sign somewhere differently, we never saw ourselves as well. You know, it is a bigger club. We saw ourselves, no, this is the best place for your development. And, and at Brentford, we had players that were offered at top cat one clubs. And as we had players that were offered at top, top cat one clubs, um, they would sometimes choose Brentford because they genuinely felt that that environment cared the most for their children and set a precedent which was, which, which was they felt had more longevity uh, for their child's development, and that was the kind of mindset that I that I tried to um, that I approached Watford with, and it, that was probably the biggest difference. Not so much in terms of the coaches, because they had very very good coaches um, at several age groups. It was more about kind of the the approach to recruitment, and um, and also the number of recruitment staff. Um, I was used to being at Brentford, and uh, you go to a 15, 16 session at Brentford, and there would be five or six scouts um just around watching making sure that they what they were going to go and scout on the off the grass was run into the business of buying players ensuring that they that that was what they were bringing in off the grass would have been comparable to what's already in the building um and when i got to watford at 1516 there was there was far less emphasis on on the scouting aspect um i worked with danny dolan and, and dolan, danny dolan was very good in terms of um in terms of learning what was um 
what was required and what the aims were. But he he kind of was trying to build that kind of network, whereas at Brentford, we already had it in place. And I think that was probably the biggest difference. And tell us about your just in session one design delivery. What, what was the, what did that look like? What sort of sessions were you putting on for the 15s there? So there was always far more phases to play naturally. Um, we had far larger areas to use. Um, we were able to... Um, we were able to kind of experiment with, with sessions. And what, what the biggest difference at Watford was that the topics would change from week to week as opposed to month to month. And by having that kind of setup week to week, it kept it fresh, kept it fresh for the players. But it was also a challenge because within the space of a week, there's always there's only a certain amount of learning that any player can, can, can do. So for example, and also the, the topics were far more um, specific. So it might be um, creating, um, creating overloads in wide offensive areas. That might be a topic for the, for the week. So it would require me as a coach to um, set up either a function or a phase of play, which was able to develop and stretch and challenge players um, and slowly build it up. But in such a small period of time as a week, um, it really stretched and challenged me as a coach because every little bit of detail kind of had to relate to the, the day or the session before whilst also ensuring that we were on a quick journey towards kind of the end of the week or the, the final session so that people had, so that the players were able to consolidate their knowledge, but also add extra, um, add extra kind of, um, or further knowledge for the players to, to empower and enrich their learning, which was a challenge. Um, with other, outside of the phase of plays and the functions, it was largely, largely similar. Um, um, Approach to um, Ball Marshy was very good. Um, Carl, really forward-thinking coach, worked with Louis Lancaster as well during the 16s. Often the 15s, 16s would train together. Um, Louis was very good as well, really kind of thought outside the box, as is, as is Carl. Um, both went on to do good things in, in football. Um, so it would be lots of ball mastery. It would be plenty of, um, plenty of small possession-type practices. Um, and then it would build into a phase and then a game at the end of the session. What about like what are the practical differences or challenges from going working with the foundation phase into working with the YDP at the top of the YDP now? Yeah, so um, I think that was probably the, one of the hardest jumps to make. Um, so what the, peer, the what the players are experiencing at those ages of fifteen and sixteen is largely around what happens away from off the grass in terms of the pressures of school, the pressures of the GCSEs um, at Watford and every other club at the time. We had players. Half the players were at the school and was in the school program at the time, but then also the other half were being transported in um, on buses, and some of them were coming from Forest Essex. So their whole week or their whole day was sometimes starting at 6 a.m. and then wasn't finishing to 11 p.m. They were doing longer days than some of the staff. Um, so taking that into consideration um, when coaching them and, and having a high level of understanding to support number one, but number two to um, to to also ensure that the players were still engaged, but also enjoying their time at the club. And um, even though at 15 and 16, as, as much as it, it starts to become more serious and you're heading towards scholar age groups, the players still have to love it as much as what they do in the foundation phase. So tell us about your next move then. You move across London to, to arguably the greatest club in the world. No, I'm joking. <laughs> to Arsenal as a Arsenal fan, I'm joking. So just tell us about how that move come on to you moving across to the red side of North London. So I, when I was at Brentford, um, we had a 
scout, uh, there was a scout who was also doing some coaching for us um, called Joe Sutton. And Joe was working um, at the time um, on an ad hoc basis at, at Brentford and it later went on to become a, a more consistent role. And um, Joe initially would start to bring some teams in to play against us at Brentford and I would coach against him with our academy players and he'd bring in, if I had an under-12s group at Brentford, he'd bring in an under-13s group from outside and we'd have a game and also we'd chat. And then what had happened, what had transpired is that Joe had since left Brentford, as had I, and he had then got the job um, as basically head of the pre-academy at Arsenal um, from 60s all the way up to 8s. So um, me and him had some conversations and he was like, look, we're looking for, for, for some new staff. Would you like to come in um, and, and kind of interview for it? So I did the interview, um, went really well. And then kind of that was how I, how I made the move. And at the same time I started there, I was then working with Bucky again, who had since left Brentford after it closed down. What was your thought process going in there in terms of obviously you've gone, you're working 15 to 16, were you a bit apprehensive saying going back to work with the younger stage groups? Or tell us about that. To, to be honest, I thought the 18 months that I spent at, at Watford kind of empowered me um, in terms of the, the quality of experience that I'd had with experimental sessions, taking some risks and so on and so forth. But I always wanted to work at one of the, one of the biggest clubs and, and it was a perfect opportunity for me. And age group for me was never, a, was never an issue. Yes, I'd always wanted to work with older players. However, the bottom line is, is, is that I was very aware Working, with, working with, with top players was always my priority. Being able to get the best out of the very, very best players was always my, was, was always my, my aim and ambition. And then within that, then working with older players. So I had no issues going back to do, uh, to do under eights again. And listen, we were working with, with some of the best under eights in the, in, in the country at the time. And we, and, they, and we still are recruiting them at Arsenal. When, and when I, when I first went in, sometimes the, the level of information that you can give those players was, was akin to under 10, under 11 anyway. And um, because they're, they're so, technically, um, so technically advanced, but also so, um, so psychologically advanced in terms of their intelligence and game insight. Um, so I had no issues with that. The biggest, the biggest challenge, again, was kind of the language. Um, the principles of what you're trying to get out don't change. It's the language that you have to use to engage the to engage the players, um, and also again, it's about building relationships. And you just have to be very mindful of the fact that the players that are coming in at, at under eight, um, they're new to the system. And I'll, I'm going up, going to do under eights again now uh, at the start of 2016, uh, having left um, having left Watford. And this is these parents' first time in, and I'm looking at myself now as a far more experienced coach, somebody who's seen far more of the game, and I was in a far better position to build relationships with parents, but also um, give them wider information about how the system works, but also the fantastic things that the club could do for them. And so, tell us a little bit about then compare and contrast again, like this, this you know, Brentford. No disrespect to Watford, Watford's a big club, but you know you're asked one of the biggest clubs in the world and one of the best academies in the world. What was that? What were the immediate things you noticed, and particularly as a coach? Um, biggest thing was facilities. That's kind of the moment you walk in. Quality facilities, and obviously the, the facilities kind of since developed since I got there. But then players, the quality of the players, and the demands and expectations that you're that you're holding your standards to is, is more significant. The bottom line is that you're trying to develop Champions League players, and whether that's you working with an under sixteen player, whether that's you working with an under eight player you're trying to develop players to be the very, very best. And you're competing with the globe. You genuinely are. Um, you're, you're working at a club which has 
the, the, um, the capability of buying players uh, at any stage in, in, in throughout the academy player's career, um, whether that be at 16, at 18 and so on. So you're constantly measuring yourself not against the, the yardstick within the club, but you're me- measuring it immediately within the yardstick domestically. Well, am I, am I actually developing this player to be better than the player at another top cat one club and so on and so forth? So the, the demands and, and the, the, the target approach is of a far higher standard. As I said before, it's about developing Champions League players, which puts a lot more pressure on, on coaches. Um, but it, it's a, it's a, as always just say, it's a privilege to coach under pressure. And it was something which I didn't understand at first, but it is so true. Absolutely. I can definitely uh, agree with that one. So tell us a bit about the curriculum and stuff like that, the methodology. I mean, how did that work and the technical cycle, tactical cycle? Yeah, so... Um, the in terms of the, the the structure of the sessions it was very much um high detail um, and the level of detail as i said was was obviously a lot higher than what you could give at some other clubs um because of the quality of the players that you had in the door but then also um heavy emphasis on ball mastery and what i loved so much about it was because i came in with bucky and i also had a relationship with joe and kieran uh kieran lewis we worked so closely together in terms of putting all of our experiences and, and expertise together so being able to have a significant kind of influence on what the pre-academy um, structure was, not just at the eighth group that I was doing, but also with the sevens and how that fed in. Um, it allowed it allowed kind of real kind of um, creative license um, and us were about to bounce so many ideas off each other. Um, and again, I was then liaising with Bucky and listen, as, a, as an experienced coach now, as opposed to somebody who was fresh in the door. Um, so I was able to add, add, add plenty in terms of the ball mastery approach, um, and then it, we we were we were one v one and two v two kind of heavy on in terms of the structure of the sessions, um, but then also there was also always an element where players would have to develop their game insight. So um, the first half an hour would always be ball mastery, arrival activity first of all, because many of them arrive early. You're trying to create an environment where the players love to be there. So if, if the player turns up 15 minutes before and there's no coach on the grass, that's a disaster. They've got the moment they walk in. They've got to be someone there, someone there to engage them, someone there to greet them, greet parents, um, but also they they've got to be active. So they're trying to create an environment, even at under eight, because you're preparing them for the academy, that they feel when they turn up early, they get rewards. They get they get an extra they get an extra extra few touches of the ball in terms of sometimes hundreds of touches of the ball, and they learn something new. They learn something outside the box, and and so you create a, an environment where players want to get to training early. And it's really, it's, and you, you see over the course of months where that then becomes really, um, um, it, it becomes almost infectious within the players. The players are desperate to get on the grass. And then after the arrival activity, it would be like at least half an hour to 40 minutes of uh, 2v2 type practices, 1v1 type practices, um, ball mastery. And then we'd often split and have a carousel type, type um, uh, structure whereby um, one one station would be game understanding, game insight. One one element might be um, around um, highly te- specific technical um, practice, like reverse passes or so on and so forth. And then another te- another station may be around um, passing and receiving, and just refining kind of our brilliant basics in terms of um, how players pass, receive, and understand, and how that links to kind of the game insight type pra- type practice that would also give us an idea. On. Give us an idea what a game insight practice might look like. 
So the game insight practice might be as simple as, as an actual game. So it will be structured as a game and you might even um, split the pitch into thirds, for example. Um, and you may have a, you may have a, uh, depending on what the topic is, if you're doing a, I don't know, if you're doing a, an attacking topic, it may be that, um, and you're trying to encourage players to create overloads, you might have, if you lane the, um, if you comb the, uh, the pitch off into thirds, like horizontally, um, it may be a case of, um, if you play into the next third, you have to go in and join the next third. Um, so if you play in, join in. So, it's just a, a, so you're getting a basic principle of play in, join in. And that's all the players need to understand at that stage is play in, join in. When you're saying things like that, it, what it does, it, it starts to build habits. And then when you, when you kind of get the players back in, it's then what is play in, join in? What does that create? Oh, it creates overloads. Okay, so then what might the overloads look like? Overloads might look like an overlap. Overload might look like an underlap. Overload might look like um, like supporting behind because the player on the ball can't um, can't play forward. However, you're still in a two two v one situation, so you're essentially stretching your game with um, a, a constraint with a constraint, which then allows and encourages and is a tool to drive the learning of a specific principle that you're working on that week. Um, as I said, the example just there with attacking, um, um, creating overloads, playing, joining, that's the rule of the game, but then you start to build habits within players. And, and so what was your next role then at Arsenal? Where did you move out the eight? So I did, I did two, I did, after the first season, I then went on to do, um, I then, uh, there was a job came up for to do the under nines and tens. I applied for the role, but I ended up actually working with the 12s. So I then combined my role with, uh, by doing under eight in the second season, under eight and under 12s. At that time, I, even as a part-timer, I was doing seven days a week. So it, it worked perfectly. So I would do the under 12s four times a week and the pre-academy three times a week, which was great. Um, so I would do eights and 12s um, simultaneously. Um, which was which was a great which was a great experience. Um, with Adam Birchall, and that was my first season working with, with Birch. Um, and it was it was just a thoroughly enjoyable experience. You know, twelve was a son that I'd already done previously, um, and it was a good twelve group that we had a very very good twelve group at, at, at Brentford. So lots of my experiences that I'd already had really helped me, and kind of we'd off, I'd often bounce um, ideas off of, off of Birch in terms of the um, the structure of the session, but also kind of. The level of detail to which the technical development was um, was appropriate. Give us an idea then what it looks like because you know you talk about the eights, which was the beginning of the foundation. Tell us what the trials looks at the end of the foundation. What the sessions look like. What was the approach? Yeah, so the the approach um, going in in the trials was, was very much topic orientated, um, and as we as we would 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 build the topic up within the trials, it was it was a case of we had because you're working at, obviously, like you say, one of the world's biggest clubs and one of the world's best clubs, you have a lot of high-level thinkers. And the, the, the challenge was to, to create, a ses create sessions on a, on, a, on a session session basis, which were, first of all, challenging for your best players, for your outstanding players, but then also were, were able to have a high level of differentiation for the players who, um, who may have needed something specific Within their development, with regard to the, to the topic, so it was it was a higher level of planning that was required, um, and then the sessions would often be again plenty of ball mastery, arrival activities, 
Um, and then it would, it, would, it would split the group in half and then it would be 1v1s, 2v2 type practices. And then the other coach may do a pass and receiving practice. Then it would be a, a swap. And then we go into some kind of game, game understanding or game insight type practice, similar to what I explained with the eights, slightly larger areas, much higher detail. And then we, we'd often finish with, with games. Yeah, I mean, I'm sorry, I mean, look, I'm, I'm not playing devil's Africa at all, but like, you know, it's like what you're telling me is that, you know, as we experience, you know, as most academies will say, you're, gonna, you're getting good variation of unopposed work and opposed work, you know, individual stuff with the ball and technical stuff and game orientated stuff. I mean, that's reality, isn't it? And then, you know, you get these people who, you know, talk about everything done in a game situation. Tell us why, you know, why do you think it's so important that you get, you know, players get experience of both away from the game and the unopposed stuff and the opposed stuff? Yeah, I mean, the, the unopposed element was, was massive. In the 12 season, we used to we used to do, um, it, it had to be used to feature in every session. Same with the under eights, to be fair. Um, and the main reason why it's so important is the, is the value of repetition. So within each movement pattern, um, you're coaching players essentially to be able to, to move in a consistent, but mo the most efficient way possible. Now, in order, to, in order to develop that, the game is too random in order to get the specific outcomes that you can get, um, that you need to play at the top level. So there needs to be a high level of repetition and it has to be balanced between unopposed, semi-opposed and fully opposed. Um, because players then, once they've got an understanding of the movement pattern, they then got to try and apply it. And then you're adding in extra elements. And a lot of this, come, a lot of this comes within, um, it fits within the kind of the realms of coordination. Um, at first you're trying to build players, players coordination with the football, when trying to ensure they're actually, actually able to move efficiently with the football, not effectively, but efficiently to begin with. And then as you're adding in arm movements, you're then trying to encourage them to make an element of a decision. So as you're starting to build it into a semi-opposed practice, you're asking them to use a, a decision in terms of which direction to, you, to go, et cetera, et cetera. But at the same time, trying to use the principles that you've already embedded within your unopposed practice. Um, and then obviously when it gets to fully opposed, players, you're, you're then looking for an, a degree of autonomy. You're looking for a degree of autonomy from, um, from players because only the game is so fast that players will react off of habit. So the unopposed and the semi-opposed stuff builds habits. And then, and then once they're efficient within that, the, uh, you'll start to see it more consistently in the opposed areas. Interesting. So then tell us then about then um, you move up to the YDP. Tell us about that, mm -hmm. how long you've been there and what sort of stuff you're doing. Yeah. So, I mean, after I did the, the 12, I then became the head coach for the nines, um, which was which was great. So I was working with the same group that I'd, I'd worked with previously. That was a fantastic experience. Um, we won um, national, the Futsal Nationals in the under nine season, worked with Josh Hinkson. That was a fantastic experience. Um, working with Josh again, who I'd worked previously at Brentford. F following that, then went on to the under 14. So that was, a, again, another jump. But I'd made it before. So it wasn't something that phased me. I was actually really excited to, again, be working with older players. And you and ironically, you, I ended up working with the same group that I had at 12, at 14, which again was, a, was fantastic because I'd already had relationships with parents, relationships with players. Um, and it just allowed me to, to kind of hit the ground running because um, I already had that kind of existing kind of relationship base. And so I was able to affect the players more instantly, or at least, at least that's, that's the way that I saw it. Um, so the, the step up to 14 was different. And you, you then you're entering more cup competitions, Albert Feeling Cup, and so on and so forth, which is a which is a great variation in the games program. Which obviously we have no leagues under 14, 
Um, so yeah, it was, it was a great experience working with the 14s. And so how long did you do with the 14s? Because you worked with the 15s and now you were the 16s. So mm-hmm. Chronologically, how long you've been with each group? Yeah, so I actually stayed with the same group. So um, I had them at 12 and I did was the head coach at the 9th. Then I had the same group at 14. Then I moved up with them again at 15. Then I moved up with them again at 16. So I've, I've had a very unique experience in having a the same group um, at obviously such a top club um, for four years out of the, their last five. So I had them at 12, 14, 15, and 16. Um, and it, that is something which I really, really value highly. Um, I value it highly, not just because of working with top players, but I think it aided and it added a significant amount to my development. Um, having that level of consistency really kind of allowed me to see the full youth development phase from what we would argue is early youth development phase all the way through to the late, latest stage of youth development phase. And being able to see how players develop, but also the level of patience that's also required when you're developing players at that at that age and stage, largely due to growth, largely due to due to outside influences, um, and what they may be experiencing with exam pressure, etc., cetera, etc. Cetera. So like Arsenal obviously likes to talk about one of the best academies in the world, obviously always at the forefront of uh, evolving the game, what they do as well. And they're quite unique and I really like this in terms of they have, with the age group, head, a head coach, they have a technical specialist and a game insight specialist. You're obviously a technical specialist. So tell us about yeah. your role there with the 16s. How does that work? And you know, tell us about your, you know, your day-to-day, your weekly, what, you, what, are your, what, are, what are your duties, if you like, in, you know, in terms of that role? So being a technical specialist just allows... Um, I think that first of all, I think the structure is great. I think it's a really, really good structure. Um, I think it caters for everything that the players need, but then also it um, compartmentalizes it to to ensure that kind of every every um, every base is covered. Um, the the biggest blessing that I've had this year was actually who I've worked with. So I've worked with Birch at twelve, at fourteen, and again at sixteen. Obviously, I've had the players. This was my fourth year having the players, and I've worked with Bucky several years prior at Brentford and then and then in the eight. So we were for me the quality of the relationship with the coaches was even better. Um, it added added even more value. My day to day would be um, we'd have a day whereby our unopposed work um, we'd have a day whereby our unopposed work would would kind of form the basis of the technical development and there'll be a session that I would deliver around that. But then much more of the technical execution was um, or is on a semi-opposed basis, but then also um, linked to position-specific stuff. So um, you might split defenders, attackers, midfielders, um, but then also executing techniques which they will rely on and require, require to be as refined as possible within their game programme now, but then also with half an eye on what it's going to look like when they go to Colney and further. And, so, and tell us also about, because I also know, what's your, you know, in terms of game day, tell us about your duties yeah. on game day and how's that work? Yeah. So on, on game day, the, the, the big kind of element for me on, as a technical um, specialist is to highlight and observe kind of moments where technical um, execution is kind of outstanding and, and things where we see players um, execute some things that we work on within training, but then also um, look for areas where we can, where I can still further develop the players um, from a technical execution perspective, whether that be a receiving technique, whether that be a um, using an open body, whether that be a one v one technique that a player may have tried. Um, but then also it allows allows us to see what 
how our how our games how our training program affects our games program and what players are taking on which specific techniques and, and then also it allows us to be more specific for them as i said previously certain players will have their favorite two skills and you see that even at the top level with the, the likes of ronaldo the likes of messi so as players start to form their identity and they have a strong identity at 16 um you're then looking to refine what it is that they love to do or what, what they're excellent at doing as well as working at Arsenal, you're also do, you're an individual skill specialist like myself, yeah. known as one of the, the two best in London. So that make, wink, wink, nice, nice. <laughs> <laughs> I mean, just, uh, just about that, then how, how you grew into that and then how does that help what you do in academy football and how does, you know, how, how, what's the challenges of doing that as well in terms of like, developing your brand and business stuff? Yeah, I, so it started about two and a half years ago. Not a great time to, st- to, to start doing on a more regular basis since you know, we had lockdown or so it appeared. And my biggest issue and my biggest reason for getting into it was simply that I was in an environment where I was seeing so many good players outside of academy football and inside of academy football, various academies, who were actually had, were engaging in no technical development. Whether that be passing techniques, receiving techniques, um, skill combinations, ball mastery techniques, nothing. No 1v1s even. And so it was, it was becoming apparent to me that players were were not refining their 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 potential full technical toolbox uh, or, or not engaging it at all. So at first it was very much around kind of delivering a program which which I had devised but also created based on my now 11 seasons straight in the academy football and working across all agents like working across so many different clubs, good clubs. So that was very much about kind of its, its design in terms of um, in the initial phases. What it's then grown on to be is, is a mixture of group sessions, but also um, I don't deliver one-to-ones, I deliver one-to-two sessions. And I match players up. Um, I, I don't, I'm not a massive believer in, um, what's that? one-to-ones are effective. However, I like the additional element of, the, of having one-v-ones within a practice. So players being able to actually train against each other um, for a portion of the session. So I often match clients together um, who are of a similar technical uh, level and age and stage. And so they are able to um, do plenty of unopposed work in terms of skill combinations, in terms of ball striking, in terms of, um, excuse me, in terms of um, passing, receiving, but then also they get the added benefit of the 1v1, being able to dominate dominate each other in, in, in situations both offensively and defensively in different areas of the pitch and so on. And, and we've always been we talk about this a lot. What's your thoughts? And, you know, you see all these, because that's my, you know, it's a saturated market now, even man, there's dogs doing one-on-one training. We've mm. seen those guys have got their, you know, the ladders out and they've got the... Uh, you know the uh, parachutes and the um, altitude masks and all those these guys. <laughs> altitude masks. Um, yeah, I'll, I'll be honest with you, Saul. That the greatest thing about, I mean, the, the reality is that social media drives everything, right? Um, social media drives mine and your business, but what drives our what drives our clientele and what drives our standards is our experiences. I don't understand how people that have never worked in an academy environment, never developed players, never seen a journey, feel that they can add value to an academy player from a technical 
perspective, or or from any other perspectives, to be honest. You have to have an understanding of the environment that your clients are in. So if you have no detailed environment or understanding of what the environment that your clients are in, you are often working the, when you see some of these people with the altitude marks, like you say, they're often working with the players of a higher standard of what they are coached. They can add no value. And that's probably the biggest challenge, I think, for, for people like myself and yourself. First of all, the, the ladders and all that type of stuff on a one-to-one, one-to-two basis, it's ridiculous. Especially, especially people working in the foundation phase. It, it, it doesn't, it's not a practice which is generally used in, in, in academy football. You, I've been the game 11 years, I've never seen ladders used. I, but I, then I see lots of players doing kind of strength and conditioning, but they can't quiff, they can't roll off both feet. They can't combine four skills together. They can't pass off both sides. They can't receive under pressure. And so you've now got this, this kind of common misconception that in order to be in the academy football, you've got to have the parachute on your back. There's no foundation players, players that are running at any clubs. Or if I think there is any club, I've never seen it. I don't know about you, but running with parachutes on your back in at under 10, 11, 12, all that. It doesn't happen. So the deregulation of, of social media kind of really makes it a challenge for, I think, lots of people um, to kind of get their messages across. And like I say, it's about developing players with the football. They have, and people say, oh, we'll do fitness training. Well, you can, just, you can do, you can design a session, a technical session to physically challenge the players. If you're, if you're looking to build kind of, like that kind of aerobic capacity or anaerobic capacity, especially when they're 13, 14 and onwards. Um, and th- this is the, this is probably the biggest challenge which I, which I face. And I'm sure you kind of face it yourself because you go online, it's impossible to avoid these days, isn't it? Yeah, I mean, that's my argument saying, listen, you know, why are you using the ladders? Is that, are, are you doing it to increase speed, foot speed with the ball? Then why are you not using the ball? If you're doing it for football, <laughs> then... Do it with the football that's the whole point it's just the you know transference isn't it there's no point it's a waste of time i said like unless you're a window cleaner you shouldn't be having a ladder anywhere near your like session or anything but anyway <laughs> it's another pet peeve of mine but i think we're lucky though to spoil right because we work to some amazing clubs and amazing environments mm-hmm. and people don't know if you're a parent you say oh yeah look a ladder and a parachute they don't realize that then they don't people don't use that in, a, in elite environments you don't use that in academy football we don't need to but i mean you know like i said so much of Instagram or Facebook is superficial, isn't it? Superficial nonsense. And I suppose, unfortunately, you know, we have to partake in it. But I mean, that's, you know, that people just look at it and say, oh, that looks fantastic, doesn't it? Like me, like those kids got hoops there, jumping in and out, hoop, diggity, diggity, you know, like in out, in out, shake it all about sort of thing. But, you know, that's that's the world we're living in, right? Well, so what about yourself then? This um, what's, what's the future hold for you? What are your ambitions in the game? So for, for, for me, I mean, I've, um, I, I, I love working in academy football. It's, um, it's a, it's a real deep root passion of mine. Like you say, in terms of my personal stuff, my, my kind of trajectory now is as, as, as quick as it's been is very much now about kind of empowering others. I still feel there's far more players which, which can benefit from, from training with me. And I'm going to say far more, I'm talking thousands more because um, I have so many different platforms, including online, including group sessions, including one to two sessions. So increasing my capacity to do that, that's, that's the immediate. Um, the medium term is to actually start to develop um, kind of um, coach education 
um, and be able to and create devising programs to actually develop develop coaches, and then and then go from there. To be honest, um, started to do plenty more work um, out in America um, and and spread the word there because it's, at the moment they are in a similar situation with us where everything is very much around team and and so on and so forth um, in in terms of big numbers, one ball, and I'm kind of stripping it back. So kind of that point of difference that I'm looking to add out there is similar to what I've already started to add here. Tell us a bit about your online stuff. So you're, you're quite active in that space. I mean, you go in after this directly to do a session. So you go to an Astro Turf, you do an online session with kids from, you know, all over the world. Know that. Tell us a bit about that because, you know, you're quite unique in that. I think you do, you're, you're doing really you're dominating that online market. So my, my stuff is very much on a, on a live interactive basis. So um, it actually was born out of lockdown. Um, I had a parent ask me, um, she said uh, she was taking her, her son to, to Florida, which is where they spent half the year. And she said, listen, I do yoga online. Can my son do, um, like, can you coach my son online? I said, well, I've never really thought about it, but I'll have a go. I'll see how we go. And then from there, it just took off. And the, the demand was so significant post lockdown. I mean, I got to a stage where I was doing 60 sessions a week um, um, at the height of lockdown. And then post lockdown, I had clients playing at Top Cat One clubs saying to me, look, Alex, can we, um, <laughs> can we continue online? And, and rather than coming to you to see you face to face, because I've seen how much my son or daughter has improved. Now, everything that I do is, is kind of, like I say, live delivered via FaceTime or Zoom. Um, I have clients as far as clients signed at uh, LA Galaxy. One client signed at um, uh, Sporting Kansas. I have uh, two clients based in Charlotte in the US. Um, and I also have an online group session whereby players can all train together. And it's as simple as I set the session up in front of them. There's never anything used more than five cones and one football. Um, there's nothing more than players don't really need a space larger than four meters by four meters. If they do have anything more, fantastic. If they don't, it can all be contained. Um, and everything's just about the details around the ball. Um, and my delivery is very much around principles, being able to deliver um, a consistent language for players to understand, to then be able to digest, and also then be, be able to go and apply that specific language when they're reflecting on their own development. Um, and it involves various combinations. It involves players being able to master the ball in different ways, whether that be aerially receiving the ball from, from a height, um, whether that be kick-ups, and then obviously um, plenty of um, skill combinations which allow players to twist and turn and ensure that they, they maintain balance, but also are able to explode and move with the ball efficiently and pivot effectively. How long are the sessions? Are they hour sessions, these, these ones, are they? Yeah, so, so the, the, um, my one-to-one -one sessions are an hour long, and as are my group sessions. Um, the group sessions take place every Sunday at the moment, um, at 6pm to 7pm. Nice time. Um, lots of players kind of have a little bit of downtime, and they will be increasing. There'll be plenty more as well. Interesting. And so what would your like, advice be to a young coach who wants to have like, an you know, incredible you know, a career in the game that you've had so far? Um, big thing for me is observe. Don't be too quick to chase the titles. Do plenty of do do plenty of um, of observation. I've I've learned so much more from my um, from my time observing the best possible coaches as opposed to doing courses. The best value that courses will add will will very often be the the quality of the candidates that you end up meeting, um, and then. 
just ensure that you get lots of goals at practicing and get it wrong. Take risks with your coaching, but ensure that you actually plan, do and review. And I know you spend a lot of time up, up in the northeast as well, because I'm your partners from up there. So, mm-hmm. I mean, the, the real question is, are you, are you a Macken or a Geordies as your second team? <laughs> and are you going to get in trouble for this? <laughs> um, I'm getting in trouble with some of my clients up there. Yeah, I, I have to say black and white because because um, my son is, my stepson is, is black and white and he would absolutely kill me if I said red and white. But um, a lot of my clients are red and white and it's a... Um, it's a it's a torn it's a torn, it's a big rivalry but the um the whole region's fantastic i, I absolutely love it up there it's uh, um, the most friendly friendly people that you that you'll ever wish to meet but i am uh, i am black and white yeah they're my second team for sure so if they're people <laughs> doing that, that's newcastle sunderland for the uh, uneducated uh, people they're known the, for the uh, up in the northeast so and just finally how can people get older you alex i mean tell us a little bit about tell us your socials people want to come and see your great work yeah. on social media and stuff so the um the contact on social media, very, my Instagram is probably my, my most popular one, um, is at, at coach underscore Alex N. Um, if they'd like to get in contact with me, with me via email, it's um, alex at coachalexn.co.uk. Um, my Facebook is um, coachalexn, um, no underscore, um, and also via Twitter, which is not a platform where you'll see most of my best work. Um, but it's also the same handle as what it is on Instagram at coach underscore Alex N. Lovely. Alex, thanks very much, mate. It's been fantastic. Appreciate your time. My pleasure, Saul. Thank you. Take care. Thanks for tuning in to the MyPersonalFootballCoach.com Soccer Player Development Podcast. MyPersonalFootballCoach.com's Dynamic Ball Mastery Program is the world's leading online individual technical training program, proven and developed at the highest level in the English Premier League. Sign up now to train like the pros and take your game to the next level. Master the ball, master the game.